writer has written that we are a people who wonder, but we are a people who are fixed. We are a people who are present. We are a people who love you. May you truly minister to us and through us for your glory. And Lord, we thank you for giving us strength. Our dependency is totally upon you. You are the one who keeps us. You are the one who holds us up. You are the God that healeth us. And may you do a work that only you're able to perform. And may we be a people who are eternally grateful for the strength that you give to us. Now, Lord, glorify yourself through your word and strengthen us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He's the one. You know, there's something about people in sports. And sometimes we don't recognize it. That before a basketball game, a football game, the night before, the team is somewhat removed from their family. And they're removed for a reason. They know that they spend the night before the game with their wife or their family that their attention will be where? On their wife and family. So the night before, the team stays together at a hotel, dinner, everything. That total concentration can be given to the game. That all thoughts can be focused on the game. See, one coach put it this way. We know that the opposing team is going to score. It's not so much about them scoring as it is to keep them from winning. And our job is to stay focused on the win. To stay focused on winning. So it is with this thing of the vine and the branches. That you have to stay so focused that you are attached to that vine. 
and no distraction, nothing would separate you from the vine. One of the things about salvation is this, which oftentimes as Christians we forget. Salvation is only the beginning of the game. It's not the end. And so many people see it as the end. That I'm in now, I'm saved, I'm going to miss hell. And they lead a defeated life in Christ. Because they're in. But they're not really living the abundant life. They're not living the Christ life. They're not living the life where they are totally lost in the person of Christ. And they miss so much. Because their belief keeps them from fully abiding in Christ. And they miss. And they miss out. Now, how many of you really find it pleasing and and delightful staying fixed to Jesus? The songwriter said, I spent all day with who? Jesus. How many of you really find joy spending all day with Jesus? Just talking to Jesus all day long. See, this week me and my grandson got to hang out some Mark. And, and it was just a joy. Because I begin to see a young man who's maturing. I taught him how to sand some drywall. <laughs> Put his hand on it and know when it's somewhat smooth. Boy, when he got to the electric saw and I had him cutting some boards, once he learned how to cut, he just wanted to keep on cutting. But he had to learn some things about that saw. Because first boy, he grabbed that saw, he put it right against the wood. Man, that thing will kick your arm off when it kicks back. I told him, you got to hold about a half inch, an inch back from it, start that blade full run, and then ease it on into the wood. Tell him how to, here's your guide piece. And if you want to see if your guide's correct every now, since you have safety glasses, kind of peek to the side, and you'll see if that blade's hitting that line or not. And then one time he went off, and he wondered why he had this. And I said, you got to remember something. When you're trying to force this blade back, you're trying to bend it, and it won't bend. (laughs) And it'll kick back at you. But once he got hold of it, then he had to learn how to hold the wood down. And he was learning them things. And when I began to catch up on him, as we were just working together, I didn't have to say, Mark, do this. Mark, do that. Guess what? He just picked up what needed to be done next, and he started doing it. That's maturity. 
when a person can pick up what's next and start doing it. They show you their growth from observation, from learning and listening. And they learn from it. And he was learning. How many of you really observe Christ in your life? And you hear him in your life teaching you that you learn to be fixed. And I noticed something. The ear things came out. (laughs) You know, he began to hear more, watch more. And it was making him someone who can do. And I shared with him, when you can do skills for yourself, you save a lot of money as a homeowner because you can do for yourself. When you learn things, I had my work clothes on and I was at the bank and this guy asked me, he said, what kind of work do you do? He said, I need some work around my house. I said, sir, I only do this as a hobby. I don't, <laughs> I don't do this anymore out. You know. And went over to Home Depot. Somebody else stopped me. Uh, what do you do? Again, I'm just doing this for myself, and it's like a hobby that I like to just do because it helps my mind and so forth. It helps, helps this body. I like to just do, but I don't do work out anymore. Learning to stay fixed with Jesus is something you have to learn and teach yourself. If not, you roam all over the place and people will entice you to do this and people will ask you to do this and people will have you running everywhere, everywhere but where Christ wants you to run and stay focused on. You've got to learn how to be fixed, how to be satisfied and find all your pleasures and joys in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you're constantly on the move. And how many people are able to stay in one position and be happy? And be happy. That's important. Elaine and I have been married 52 years now. Be 53. And you know, I'm happy. I'm happy. I believe she's happy. And, and, and we're fixed with each other. We stay with each other. That don't mean we got a perfect marriage. But we're fixed to each other. We're focused on each other. And we're happy in each other's presence. See, I don't worry about it as long as she's in the house. It's when she's out the house too long. Sometimes she'll tell me, well, you're over in that room and I'm in this room. I'm happy because I know where you are. Are you happy with Jesus? Are you fixed to him? Are you satisfied? When you are not satisfied with your position in life, when you're not satisfied, you move. Watch people in relationships. When they're not satisfied, they what? They move to another relationship. Watch people in marriage. When they're not satisfied, they what? 
They move. <laughs> Watch people in houses. Oh boy, excited when I first go in, but when it gets old, and I know every room in the house, now it's time to go buy another one <laughs> or move somewhere else. For some people, that would be disturbing to me. I couldn't move six times a year. They move from city to city. They move from friendships to friendships. You're looking for something that you can hold on to that will bring contentment, that will bring security. And here comes the key word here, that sets a future before you, that you're satisfied in it. And you can settle down in it. And you can sit right there in it. And you can be there. We see Jesus only as salvation. And salvation from hell. But living the rest of our life my way, under my rules, without Jesus or church interfering in my life. That's the wrong picture to have. That's the wrong picture to have. Jesus, mind your business. Well, if you're saved, you are his business. If you're saved and part of the church, you are the church's business. And the issue is, stay out my business. Okay, I'm saved. I've done what you folks want me to do. I've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. What else you want me to do now? There comes that process now that you want to grow in Christ. Comes that process. You want to live under the rules and standards and principles of Christ. It comes that process that you want to just continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ. People have asked me to do, and I've done it. Okay, I've accepted Christ. Salvation is just your beginning. Now comes the learning of what it is to be saved. And so many people believe a lie. I know what it is to be saved. Be good. Go to church. Let me share something with you. Church will send you to hell quicker than anything else out here in the world. It's being in Christ. And where Christ wants to place you. Learning, now coming to the learning of what it is to be saved is what's difficult. And that, that's what the branches are talking about. The fruitful and the unfruitful. Both are saved, I believe. But one is being fruitful while the other is being unfruitful. And I take that from the word where it says like. Because he's trying to paint a picture of what it is like. To live your life without Christ. What it is like to live your life in ignorance of God's word. What it is like 
been under the fire of the fiery darks of Satan. What it is like to know somebody's out to destroy you and that somebody wants to shift you as wheat. To know what it is like to not really be in the presence of God. He says that that branch that withers is like a branch broken off. Now coming to learning what it is to be saved, salvation is like a job. A job you go after. Oh, you read the little thing about the job, but it doesn't give you all the details about the job. And any of you who have worked someplace know that there's a little bit of information that is given about the job. That what's your appetite? I want this job. Whether it be the financial part, whether it be, boy, this is what I'm trained for. Boy, this is what I really want. But what you really don't know is this, is what the employer is really going to expect of you as being an employee. You don't discover that until you get where? In the job. And you may want to say to the person, well, I didn't know it was going to be this hard. I didn't know you was going to ask all this of me. I didn't know I was supposed to do this and that and all these other things. It's part of the job. It's part of the job. All these other things are part of your salvation. All these other things is part of what it is to be saved. Now you're the one that have to have the interest to begin to allow the Holy Spirit to bring those things into a reality in your life. If salvation was all there is, there would not be the gift of the Holy Spirit. And as we talk about him in weeks to come, we'll understand this. The Holy Spirit is given for a reason to perfect my life in Jesus that I might be the very image of him. Now, one author puts this text in this light. He mentions three things about it. One, that is union with Christ. That we are tied with Christ. We have a union with Him. The few days ago, Pastor Travis had a gas leak in his house. And it was right there at the union. And we got down in there and had to do just a little bit of work. It took about maybe three, four minutes. Didn't take a lot of time. The union looked like it was together, so it looked like it was doing its job. But somehow over time, the union had backed off just a little bit. Just enough to allow gas to leak through. 
Understand something. You back away from Jesus just a quarter of an inch, just an eighth of an inch, and you've allowed enough space for Satan to get a foothold. And you'll begin to leak sinfulness out of your life. But when we tighten that union, and that union was to do what it's supposed to do, there was no more leaks. And when you stay tight to Jesus, sin can't get in. And that union holds. He says one is union with Christ. The other is communion with the believers. Because it takes more than just you by yourself to be able to live the Christian life. It is strange that uh, the scripture talks about us forgiving one another. Why would we have to practice forgiving one another? This is one thing that people don't understand about church life. You come into church to be cut up. You come into church to be kicked. You come into church to be hurt. You come into church to be misused. Because, see, if you can't practice forgiveness in here, you definitely can't do it out there. And so many people wind up running from church to church. This person did this to me, or that person did that to me, or this happened to me. Boy, why? Iron sharpens iron. We hit each other. We cause sparks to fly in each other's life. We cause each other to become better. We challenge each other. Yes, and sometimes it's painful, but it's needful to bring the fruit forth that God wants. And he said he prunes I bet a tree, boy, if it could hear, if we could hear it yell when you cut a tree. Could you imagine when you cut yourself? See, Mark, boy, I was hammering, I hit a nail, and I hit this finger right on the tip. Years ago, without Christ, something else may have came out. But all I heard was, ouch! But the thing is, it was painful. He didn't do it. Who did it? Yeah. But see, when people hurt you, understand something. It's going to benefit you. It gives you the opportunity to grow beyond your own expectations. Because you know what you may have done in the past. Now, God's testing is to see if you're going to what? Yes. Or are you going to forgive? And he's working in your life to that point. He's working in your life. And that's the communion. That's the fellowship we have. That's the togetherness that we have. Because I get angry with my brother... Doesn't mean he's no longer my what? My brother. And among 14 children, there's anger. There's 14. Used to be 14. Now there's nine of us living. But we still 
at times clash, but we're still what? Brothers. Then he says the disunion. And this third one might be the hardest within the church. The disunion is the separation from the world and the lifestyle of the world. The disunion. And this is maybe the biggest failure among Christians. That we want to be saved, but we want to live the lifestyle of the world. We want to dress like the world, talk like the world, live like the world. We don't want to live like Christ. We don't want to make sacrifices. We want to get, 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 but we don't want to sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. And the hardest thing for us to do is to separate from the world. That is the branches that are unfruitful. Who've accepted Christ but have not separated themselves from where? From the world. When you go into that verse 5, look what he says in John 15. Because there's only two branches. There's the branches that are fruitful. And there are those that are unfruitful. Let me make something clear here as we talk about this and being cast off and so forth. We're not talking about saved, once saved, or unsaved. What we're talking about is the fruit and the branches on the vine. And on that vine, there are branches that are fruitful and there are branches that are unfruitful. And what you have to figure out in your own personal life is this. Are you being fruitful in your life or are you unfruitful? What's happening in your own life that really gives testimony to you that you are connected to Christ? What is it in your life that says God is working in me? And I find joy in this relationship that we have. Understanding what Matthew 6.24 talks about. No person can serve two masters. Nobody can live two lifestyles. Even though we try it sometimes. And when you find a Christian trying to live the two lifestyles, living the Christian lifestyle and the world lifestyle, you will find a very confused individual because they have to make a choice either I'm going to live according to that Bible according to that word or I'm going to live in another way that's the thing that psychiatrists have not been able to really point out and that's one of the reasons they're so against biblical teaching because biblical teaching sets you free up here where the world keeps you confused in here And you're not sure, you're not confident 
where the Bible teaches you to be confident in yourself because of who you are in, Jesus Christ. And he says, no man, no person can serve two masters. You have to pick one or the other. It's your choice. And in this text, you have a choice to either be fruitful or be unfruitful. Your choice. Jesus tells us our position. And he tells us in that verse 5, he says, I am the vine. So that part's very clear. I'm the one who do the supporting. I'm the one who do the feeding. I'm the lifeline of it all. I'm the vine. I give to you. I give you eternal life. I feed you what's necessary to grow. I'm your blood. I'm your lifeline. I'm your supporter. I'm the essential part of your life. Because without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing without me. And he says, I'm the vine. So he makes it very clear who he is. He also makes it very clear who his father is. He's the pruner. But he makes it very clear who you are. That you are the branches that come forth from the vine. He makes it very clear. Now, you may want to be the vine. Problem is, you're not. You may think you can totally support yourself. You may think that you can really do for you, but you can't. The only thing you and I can do with our life, and you can look in the life and you can see this. And this is so important to take this and put it in here and put it in here. The only thing you can do with your life is mess it up. That's all. You can tear your life up. Nobody else can destroy your life but you. Nobody can bankrupt you but you. Nobody can cause you to really be unhappy but you. Nobody can rob from you as much as you rob from yourself. We need to understand that. And therefore Christ says, really, anything positive, good, or beneficial, or profitable for your life, you can't do nothing but destroy it. That's all you can really do with your life. And we can see a world of destroyed people because they're not willing to follow what? The principles and the rules of the living God. And that's hard. And he says, now, if you're a branch coming off the vine, I have a divine purpose for you. He says, to be fruitful. To be fruitful in your life by adding the things that he so desires for you to show forth the fruit in. Ephesians 5 shows you the fruit of the Spirit. Peter 1, he tells you, boy, add these things to your life. He's the one who begins to teach you how to be fruitful here. 
And when you're really fruitful, when you see a good peach tree and you see a good apple tree or you see some good cherries on a tree or when you see grapes on the vine that are fully ripe, what do you want to do? See, across the street when I was a child, we used to come up to Perkins Park. We would jump the fence across the street because there were apple trees, peach trees on the backyard of this home. And boy, them peaches be looking good and them apples be looking good. And, and we jumped that fence real quick, go over there and pull a couple of them off and get back across. We didn't call it stealing in those days. <laughs> But they looked so good, we wanted some of them, and we went to them. When your life looks so good, people will pick from your life. They will pick the apples and the peaches and the grapes from your life. But if your life is raggedy, and your life had no life in it really, but destruction, who wants that? But when you're bearing the right type of fruit, people want to pick from you. And he says, the purpose of you is that you would bear fruit in your life. But the warning also comes in that verse. He says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If any man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But the key now is that you find out how to remain in him. Now, there's two words that's very important here, and we're going to talk about a couple more words, but the word abiding or remain has a different meaning than the word in. Abiding and remain is talking about presence. That you love to remain in his presence. That you love to abide right there. That you're happy right there. And that you love the presence of the Lord. And therefore you abide with him. You abide with him. The word in, and it's strange that they put the two together here. Remain in or abide in. Remember the word abide and remain means being in his presence. Knowing his presence. But the word in means to be fixed to. Fixed to. And the branch is what? It's fixed to the vine. It is fixed there. Like if you took a nail and you hammered it with another piece of wood to another piece of wood. It's fixed there. And the nail holds it there. Because it's been fixed 
there. And even though the winds may come and the trials may come and the storms of life may come because you've been fixed, you're like the branches on a tree. When a big wind comes, yes, you may sway some and you may go up and down some, but you're secure because you've been fixed in Jesus. And because you've been fixed, you enjoy the presence of the Lord. You enjoy His presence. But because we think and reason, we believe we can set our own course in life. And a lot of people do that, even Christians. We forget what Jeremiah speaks about. God has a plan for you. We forget that God wants to order our steps. We forget that God wants to be the one who blesses our what? Our going out and what? Our coming in. We forget that God wants to lead us step by step in life. Somehow we become very dependent and we think we can walk this life. We can run along all by ourselves. And we wonder why we fall. We wonder why we skin our knees and our elbows. Because we're trying to run without Jesus. All because we think we can. And Satan will teach you or try to tell you that you can live this life without Jesus. Not knowing that the course will lead only to destruction and lead us away from Jesus. That is why the word abide is so important. And the word remain is so important. It's abide in King James, remain in the NIV, but they're important because you yourself make the choice. Hear me in this now. You make the choice to abide in the presence of the Lord. And that's important. If we don't remain, we are believing the wrong thing. And it demonstrates in our life. Because I'm saying I'm a Christian, but then my life does not demonstrate that I'm a Christian. It doesn't show forth the fruit of a Christian. Go with me to Ephesians 4.27. Turn over to Ephesians 4 and verse 27. Let's get there. He says, and do not give the devil a what? A foothold. Do not give. That means... You and I, for Satan to get in, we have to give him space to do his work. And Jesus, according again to 1 John 3, Jesus come to destroy the works of the devil. He come to destroy the works of the devil, where at? In my life. And then he says, you got to be cautious. You got to be watchful. You got to be the one who take notice that you don't give Satan a foothold in your life. If you give Satan an inch, he'll take a foot. You give him a foot, he's going to get a yard. You give him a yard, he's going to have a football field. 
And Satan wants to take as much of your life as he can. And it starts up here. For as a man thinketh, what? So is he. And if Satan can get you to believe the wrong thing, that's like a lot of Christians today. I'm a Christian. I couldn't tell you anything about this book. Without the Bible, you cannot be a Christian. That's like a lawyer trying to be a lawyer without the law books. That's like a doctor trying to be a doctor without being trained. That's like a nurse trying to be a nurse without the books. That's like the, uh, the pharmacist trying to make the medicine without some books and guys putting it together for him. And you're trying to be a Christian without knowing the Word of God. And that's the unfruitful ones. They're trying to be something without any guidance to it. And they're going to do it on their own. And Matthew 13. And this is what really takes place. And sometimes we forget about it. That when... The moment I accept Christ, the the moment I decide I'm going to live for Christ, the moment I make a decision that I want to glorify him, uh, Satan's going to come in and Satan's going to begin to hinder and he's going to begin to do things in my life that's going to distract me. And he says in that verse 39, And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, but the harvesters are angels. But look what happened. Go back up with me. He answered, though, the one who sowed the good seed is the Son of God. In verse 37. Then in 38, the field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The good seeds. And then he goes on, he says, the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And you know what Satan wants to grow? In your life is a bunch of weeds. Is a bunch of weeds. And if you allow him, that's what your life will look like, a bunch of weeds. It's like some people's front yard. All they got in it. Oh, it's green. But it's green with weeds rather than what? Grass. Weeds, it's amazing. Weeds don't have to be taken care of. Weeds don't need any maintenance. And guess what? You don't even have to even feed weeds. They, they'll just grow on their own. But that old grass, it got to be maintained. You got to feed it. You got to keep the weeds out of it. You got to water it. You got to do all this to it if you're going to have a nice green lawn. And that's the husband. That's the, the gardener who does the pruning and care. He, he keeps the weeds out. He fertilizes it. He waters it. That the grass can be nice and green. Because, see, the weeds 
don't have to do nothing to it. They'll just spread and grow and spread and grow and destroy everything that's good in your yard. And he says, boy, it's the enemy, is Satan that does what? Sow the weeds. Sow the wrong seeds. And he says that word in is so, is so important because it means to be fixed. Fixed. That you can be in the presence of the Lord. The two branches again. One is fruitful. One is unfruitful. The unfruitful Christian life. And that's the picture that he's trying to paint. And that's why he uses the word. Come down into verse 6 with me. He says, if anyone does not remain in me. Now now catch what he says. He is like. He's trying to paint a picture when he says it's like. Yes, you're still part of the, but you're like this. And then he begins to go on and say what is like. Because he's trying to paint a picture for us that we can see that we, do no, we can do nothing without him. That we can do nothing separated from him. We cannot bring forth the fruit in our lives without him. And he says, it's like. So he wants to paint this picture of what your life may be like without him. And he goes on, he says, he is like a branch that is thrown away. The word thrown away there or cast away is a very strange word here. Because it also has the meaning in the word cast away that if you want to go, I just what? Let you go. It's not that I take you and I throw you away. It's the same word used in Matthew 4, 6, where Satan challenges Jesus Christ. Throw yourself down before me. Who's doing it? Hey, throw yourself down. And I believe in this word, it's not so much Christ taking you and throwing you out. Is that he lets you what? Go. Why? You don't enjoy my presence. I remember when my brother ran away from home. And my mom was on him every day. Go get that boy. Go get that boy. And my dad said, when the other folks get tired of feeding him, they'll send him home. And when he came home, I remember my dad sitting in the living room with him. You know how when dads call themselves punishing or everybody else supposed to be out the room, but boy, you, you around the corner, you down in the basement trying to listen, no TV on. And my, and my dad said to my brother Harold, if you're not satisfied living here, you can always move. If you don't enjoy being here, you can give it your time, and when you're old enough, you can go. What my dad was just saying to him, we love you, but we want you to enjoy being home. We want you to enjoy the present. Yes, there's rules here. Yes, there's regulations here. Yes, there are things here we're going to ask of you. 
And all that comes because we desire you here. But we will not make you stay here. So my dad little saying was this. The door swings both ways. <laughs> and you and I have to make the choice. Are we going to come in and stay in and be fixed and enjoy the presence of God? Or are we going to be running in and out? And a lot of people never know how blessed it is to be at home. They never know what it is to really have the presence of people who love them and enjoy the presence of people who love them. And he says, you're like one who has been thrown out. And he begins to say, you're like that branch who now is beginning to wither. How many of you ever watch a branch that's been cut off of a tree? How many of you watch the little branches being cut off bushes? When they're first cut off, they're still what? Nice and green, just like they were still what? Attached. And boy, you go out and if you let them just lay on the ground, you see them just for a moment or two that they still have that greenness to them. But they begin to what? Wilt a little bit. Why? They're not getting the nourishment that they need. And he says, when you separate yourself from me, you will not get the nourishment that you need for life. You will not get what you need to sustain yourself. And you're like that branch that is no longer connected to me. You begin to wither in your life. And you're not really living the life I want you to live. And he goes on and he explains to them that yes, your life begins to change. You begin to wither. You're not the same. And this is not what I have planned for you. You're like a branch thrown in the fire. And I believe that fire is Satan. Satan's trouble in your life. Turn with me to Luke twenty two thirty one. Luke twenty two. And I want you to hear what he says to Peter. And if he says this to Peter, what I want you to do is put your name there. Put your name there. Make it personal. Make it real in a sense. He says, Gus, Gus, Satan has asked to shift you. Put your name there and read it. That Satan wants to shift you as wheat. But listen to what he says. I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not what? Fail. And when you have turned what? Boy, that's some statement for Peter. That when you turn back 
Yes, I'm like one who has been cut off, but I have the ability to what? Turn back and enjoy his presence. Enjoy becoming pruned and bringing forth more fruit in my life. Go over to 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. 1 Peter 5. Because, see, oftentimes we don't recognize this. And we need to understand it. He says, be self-controlled. There's your choosing. You're not drunk with wine. But you're the one who got to be under control of who? Of your life. If you're not in control, you will be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You will be tossed to and fro with everything Satan puts into your mind. You won't learn how to bring those things that are against the Lord Jesus Christ into captivity under the blood of Christ. You won't know how to use the gift of discernment to know what God really has for you. And you're the one who has to discern your life. You have to discern it. You have to know it. And he says, be self-controlled and alert. Now, why is he telling you to be alert? Because somebody's out to do you harm. Somebody's out to beat you up. Somebody's out to steal from you. Somebody's out to rob from you. Somebody's out to destroy you. And he said, you need to be on alert. You need to be alert. How many of you are alert of the things of Satan? How many of you catch a lie that Satan sometimes is telling you up here in your mind? How many of you are alert when you hear something from somebody else that you know it isn't right? Are you alert when you allow your emotions to get tied up with somebody who's married and you're not? Are you alert when you are being led into fornication and understand God puts these two words in the Bible for a reason? Fornication and adultery. Fornification is when you're not married. Adultery is when you're married. And he says, boy, watch yourself because you can be led into what? Fornication. Oh, so easily because of your emotions. Watch yourself because, see, you can commit adultery even though you say that you're faithful to your wife and you love the Lord and you love her. But with the right temptation, Satan can get you out there where you're involved in adultery. And it causes you to destroy your life and the life of others. He says, be alert. Why? He wants you to be alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Looking for that light to destroy. To look for that person that he can take from. And then in Ephesians 6, 16, when you're that branch that is like thrown into the fire, you become very much open to the attacks of Satan. 
Go to Ephesians 6.16. Look what it says. Because we need to understand that it is real. He says, in addition, and this is talking about putting on all that armor of the Lord. But he says in this one, verse 16, he said, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith. Why? With which you can extinguish all the flaming or fiery arrows or darts of the evil one. That when you've been cut off, you've been separated from me. You no longer have a shield. You no longer have a hedge about you. You have no longer this divine protection. And the fiery darks come. And you have no way to quench them without faith in Jesus Christ. And he says you're thrown into the fire or you're thrown out into the destruction of the enemy. Satan. Doesn't mean that you're not saved. But remember what he says over in 1 Corinthians 6? You're saved like one running from the fire. (laughs) You have no rewards. You really have no works. You have no deeds. Only thing you have is salvation running from the fire. You got the stench of smoke. You got the stench of maybe having a little burns or fires at your coattail. But you're saved. But you have no fruit. Now, if you remain, here comes the promise. And I want to hook these two things together very much if I can in this closing part. Because he makes this promise to us. And he says in that verse 7, he says, If you remain in me, if you remain in my presence, and you remain fixed, understand this principle. It's, it's, It's so important. God never moves. God never stops loving you. God never stops chasing after you. The sad part about it, I'm like the child who runs away from home, not knowing how good home was. I'm like the man. If I could tell you how many men have told me up in my office, I've made a mistake. I should have stayed married to my first wife. The thing is this here, is remaining in his presence. Remaining in his presence. Staying fixed to him. And never losing that. 
and finding all the joy and all the peace that I remain in Him. I stay fixed to Him. I stay glued to Him. Because God never moves. I'm the one who moves. And if I want to move bad enough, He lets me go. He doesn't throw me out. He lets me go. Remember the prodigal son? Had it good at home, but didn't know how good he had it at home until he went where? But he could return. And he did. And it says, and this is the promise when you abide, when you stay there, he says, if you remain in me and my words, why the word? He said, the word is what made you clean. It's the word that brings the fruit about in your life. He says, the word remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Turn me to Luke chapter 24. You have to ask the question in reading this with, about the apostles, about his disciples. Well, Lord, uh, uh, why didn't this happen earlier? Lord, uh, uh, why didn't you just do this at the very beginning of my Christian walk with you? Lord, why didn't this happen sooner? In Luke 24, verse 45, let me get over there. 24, 25, 45, 45, where are you? He says, Then he opened their what? When you get into God's word and your heart is sincere, God does something magical, if I can use that word. He opens your mind. When you get into his word and you begin to study his word. Because see, God isn't looking just for churchgoers. He's looking for people who want to have a relationship. Ladies, let me share something with you. Men, let me share something with you. Don't get attached to somebody who just wants to date you. See, Elaine knew I wanted to marry her. I asked three times. She knew that. See? Don't get attached to somebody just wanting to date you and play you alone. Hey, you want to get attached to somebody who seriously wants to spend the rest of their life with you. And that's what Jesus wants. He wants to get emotionally involved with you. Hey, and he wants to get attached to you. Why? He wants to spend the rest of his life with you and you want to spend the rest of your life with him. And he says, he opens our mind. What does he do that with? His word. When I get into his word, he opens my mind that I see a bigger picture. Oftentimes we're looking through this window down here trying to peep through. And God is saying, open the window. Open the window. And the window is getting into his word. And when you get into his word, God no longer is like this. God becomes like this. 
because you get into his word. And he goes on, he said, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Now, when you begin to understand, you're asking God not about things. You're asking God, how do I live as a godly woman? How do I dress as a godly woman? How do I live as a godly man? How do I present myself as a godly man? How do I really be a friend? How do I really be a husband? How do I really be a wife? How do I really be the child? Remember he says, boy, I'm the vine, but you're the branches. Understand this principle about God. He always has positions for us. So in the family, there's father, there's mother, there's children. The children know they are what? The children. And the mom knows she's the mom. The dad knows he's what? He's the dad. He always have these positions. You know the employer. You know you're an employee. He knows. You know who you are in the relationship. And he educates you in that area. He allows you to see that you have understanding why. He doesn't desire for his children to be ignorant, but to be wise. Closing out, Colossians 3. We, we're going to come back to Colossians 3 next week because it's so important to be able to put this into practice. And, and, and yet we need to understand it. And there's so much in it. For he says in Colossians 3, 5, he first says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. That's that part that draws us away. That's that part why we want to be separated from him. He says, now this is something you have to do. You have to begin to really work with your nature. You have to begin to work with your behavior. You have to begin to really look at yourself. Nobody else can do it. He says, I just will not automatically take it from you, but I will give you the power to let it loose. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. And he says, you now, Put to death. Put to death my boyfriend? Yeah, live as though he don't even exist. Put away my girlfriend. Lord, you don't know how she makes me feel. And the Lord says, you have to put it away. And he says, you have to put it to death. When something is dead to you, it has what? No effect in your life. And he says, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, this fleshliness, put it away. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed. And he says, you have to do that. I said, we're going to get in a little bit more of this next week. Go over to verse 12. Look what he says. He says in verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, he says, now, guess what? You're in the vine. You're part of the branch. You are to be fruitful, not unfruitful. You have to know your position. You have to know who you are. You have to know the saving power of the living God. You have to know what it is to have the unction of the Holy Spirit. You have to know the Word of God. You have to do that. And in that verse 12, he says, Therefore God's chosen people, You've been chosen. You haven't chose him. He chose you. And because you are chosen, 
You are to become holy. And he says this, you are dearly beloved. He loves you. You'll never know how much God loves you. He says he demonstrated his love for you on the cross. But it seemed like today in this environment in which we live today, that's almost meaningless. That he would die for us. But when you understand that, that compels you to live a life that is worthy of him. And he says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Now look at 13, because we talked about it earlier. Bearing with each other and forgiving whatever grievance you may have against one another. We'll get a little bit more into that next week because this is some of the fruit that you have to bear. These are some of the things that's going to take place in your life. And you say, well, I don't understand. Why do you think God will take place? I'm okay the way I am. And God is trying to say to you, you're not okay. You can be good, be gooder. You can be better, but be at your best. Desire to be more than what you are. Why? Because of who you live for and the empowerment he gives you to be able to do so. Father, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. Help us to understand that, Lord, we are the branches and you really are the vine. And all sorts of life for us come from you, Lord Jesus. And it is pleasing to the Father when he sees us being fruitful in our lives. When he sees us bearing the fruit of gentleness. When he sees us bearing the fruit of being moral and upright and ethical. When he sees us bearing the fruit that is righteous and just. When he sees us bearing the fruit that he so desires to see in our lives, that we are pleasing unto him. And we're living the life, that abundant life that he's called us to live. He didn't call us to live a life of struggling. He didn't call us to live a life of just surviving. Neither did he call us to live the life of millionaires per se. But he called us to be godly men and godly women. Showing forth divine fruit that takes place in our life. And Lord, help us to be able next week to describe that. What does that fruit look like? But more than that, what does that fruit do in my life? And why would this fruit attract other people? 
Lord, help us to be able to bring that out next week. And Lord, we thank you that, Lord, as we get to know your word, what we ask for is not the things of this world. What we ask for are those things that are eternal and that will last. We don't ask for the meat and bread of this world that perish. But we desire, Lord, that heavenly bread that comes down from heaven. What we desire, Lord, is that meat that will not rot or be destroyed here on earth. For we recognize, Lord, as we get into your word, that all this is only temporal. It's only for a moment. It's only for a little while. But what we look for, Lord, is that future. That promise that, Lord, we're going to live eternally with you. That promise that one day we won't struggle with sin nor be tempted with sin. For we will be totally separated from it. And Lord, we look to that future. Where there will be no more weeping. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more aches. We're looking for that future, Lord. Where when we're only a hundred years old, we will yet be called a child. Lord, help us to look to the future. Help us to lose our present, in a sense. To be aware, yes. To pay attention, yes. But we're looking, Lord, for that house that is not made with the hands of man. But that which you have already ordained for us. We're looking to spend eternity with you. Help us to see that. Help us to want that. Help us to begin to practice what's going to take place in eternity. Being in your presence every moment of the day and enjoying it. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare to give, We want to give with thanksgiving in our heart. And we want to give saying, Lord, thank you for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for giving to us. Lord, thank you for meeting our needs. Father, we are weak. And we are a broken people in so many ways. And I pray, Father, that you would begin to work in us. That even as we give, Lord that we don't give grudgingly. We don't give it saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. But we give with a faithfulness knowing that, Lord, you are our provision and you will provide for us. And that we give joyfully. We give happily knowing that, Lord, you're the one who's made it possible that we can give. 